Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so, so I'm not going to be that guy. Yes, I am. I told you so. I told you after game one that Portland would not quit. That Portland was going to grind and battle, and they did. They battled their asses off last night. You knew the Blazers would get nice when C.J. McCollum finally met the legendary Jennifer in person before that game. And he was trying. He was trying again, Jennifer. And this time, he was succeeding. The Portland offense, McCollum guarded by Draymond Green. Finds a spot and knocks down the jumper. C.J. McCollum finding a spot and knocking down the jumper. Then he found Chief on the break. Curry throws it away. A two-on-one for Portland. McCollum gets it to Aminu. And how about Aminu? How about it? So the Blazers did exactly what I expected them to do. They finally got some rest after that brutal Game 7, Game 1 turnaround. They got their legs underneath them. They made some adjustments on defense. They came out flying on offense. And they led by 15 at the half. They had it up to 17 at one point. But then, in the third quarter... Golden State went old school Golden State. Remember back in the day, nobody dominated the third quarter like the Golden State Warriors. We would talk about that all the time. You know, your team would go into the locker room at halftime, get some Gatorade. The Warriors, though, would go into their locker room at halftime and smash rocket fuel. You could be up double digits at halftime. And you just knew they were going to come back because they always did. And they did it again last night. Here is the absolutely soul-crushing thing about playing Golden State. Fact, no lead is big enough. No lead is ever safe. Not when they're locked in defensively and not when they're moving the ball as well as they are now offensively. In other words, if you're up by 15, you're tied. In fact, you're probably losing. And they did it again last night. They were down 17 with 11.44 to go in the third. And up 5 with 131 to go in the third, a 22-point swing in a blink of an eye, three quick touchdowns, and that would have crushed pretty much anybody else. It should have crushed Portland, but it didn't because they're tough like that. Nothing crushes these guys. They bounce back. They retake the lead. They're up by eight with just over four minutes to go. And then came yet another Golden State run, a run which included passes like this from Draymond Green. Pass inside to Iguodala. Beautiful bounce pass. So you might be listening and not watching because we're not on the air right now for our number one on CBS Sports Network. But let me tell you about that bounce pass. Man, that was pure wizardry. Let me take a moment right here to talk about something. I want to talk about Draymond Green. Like, as cool as it might have been to watch Steph and Seth go at each other last night. And that was cool. But as cool as that was, that game was not about... Seth Curry. That game wasn't even about Steph Curry. The game wasn't even about Klay Thompson either. That game was about two guys, Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Draymond and Andre never get the respect they deserve. As much respect as they get, it's still not enough. Five years into this, there are still idiots who think that Draymond is only unique or special because he plays for Golden State. Wrong, dopes. Golden State's unique and different and special because Draymond plays for them. 16 points, 10 boards, 7 assists, and 5 blocked shots. And those are the most basic numbers to track. Find me another 4 or a 5 who can make some of the passes that he makes, who punishes you on the pick and roll the way he does, and who defends just about every aspect of that game the way he does. You want to know why this guy's so unique? Check out this montage from that 4-minute run. This guy is involved in nearly everything that happened. Portland by 8 on the drive. Draymond Green. Pass inside to Iguodala. Beautiful bounce pass. Curry, Leonard on him, back to Draymond Green, floats it up, and Looney puts it in. Draymond Green throws it up, Kevon Looney throws it down. Timeout, Portland. Curry drives past the green, layup, he banks it home. So he's involved in literally everything that went down in that stretch where they ripped that game. And yet Portland still had a chance. 
Portland still had a chance until Iggy did it again. Lillard with the dribble. Comes hard left side. Tries to hold off Iguodala. Stripped and stolen. Andre stolen. He stole it. Steph Curry throws it up at the horn. It doesn't matter. The game's over. Andre Iguodala with the best hands in the business has given the Warriors game two. Warriors radio. And by it, I mean he stripped Damian Lillard. That went down in the official scorebooks as a block shot, but it's going to go down in the memory bank as the Iggy special. He ripped the ball from Lillard and stole game two for Golden State in the process because Steve Kerr said afterwards that Golden State stole the game. And he's right. Portland did everything they had to to win that game. Portland ran a winning race, and they still lost. And as for Iggy, that's no accident. That was no fluke play. That's his signature move. That's Iggy's signature move. He's an absolute scientist when it comes to swiping the ball. He studies the way baseball players study launch angles and exit velo. You want a clinic on swiping? Go to YouTube. Check out Iggy. Or listen to him after the game because as good as that play was, he still was not impressed. You actually could take risks outside the triple line extra aggressive because the key is not to get it up. So if a guy drives by you, then you still got the lead. So when you look at it that way, it wasn't that good of a play. Agree to disagree, Iggy. That was a pretty good play. That was a really good play. The only thing better than the play was how he celebrated that play. By running up the tunnel to the locker room, staring at his hands and shouting, these mother bleepers are crazy. That's one of my favorite things an athlete has ever done. This guy makes a game-ending steal, runs up the tunnel, looks at his own hands, and screams, these mother bleepers are crazy. So good. He's right. These mother bleepers are crazy. And you better respect them before he gives them to you. Man, would you look at these two? These mother bleepers are crazy, yo. Let me say that one more time. Portland won't quit. They're not going to fold. They're not going away. But that's a game they had to have. That's a game they seemingly had already won, only to have Golden State come all the way back and stab them in the heart. They're not the first team Golden State's done that to. They will not be the last. And Golden State will do that to you with or without Kevin Durant. Rex Hoggard, GC. My man, Rex. What's going on, Rex? How are you? Welcome to a May Major. I know, right? Let me ask you about that. How do you like having the PGA in May? What's that like? What's that feel like? It was a little unnerving because, I mean, being in the Northeast, we didn't know what the golf course was going to be like. What's kind of amazing is no one knew what to expect this week. Was it going to be like the 02 and 09 Opens and, and very, very difficult or something closer to the PGA Tour events that have been held here? And I've come to understand that if you came to this golf course any day of the year, you're going to walk up and think it's a U.S. Open. I mean, it's, it's just one of those kind of places that – I love that Seth Wall, the CEO of the PGA of America, called it tackle football. I think that's a perfect description. I like that. Rex Hoggard is joining us. So when you talk about the weather in the Northeast, Rex, Dustin Johnson was tearing it up earlier today, but then he fell back. How is the course playing, and how significant is the weather report? It's going to be more significant this afternoon. There's a little bit of rain in the forecast. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is going to be the winds are supposed to gust to about 25 miles an hour. And this is where, I mean, I think after what Brooks Koepka did yesterday, everyone expected him to put the pedal on the gas and just to pull away from the field. And I'm not quite sure if he's going to be able to do it. And, and I'm not in the Brooks Koepka doubting business. I, I think he's a special player, and he's proven it in a very, very short period of time. But this is such a golf course, like we were just talking about, that it doesn't take much to get sideways. And I think anything around par, one under par, even one over par is going to be a good round for him this afternoon. We are talking to Rex Hoggard. I was going to say, Rex, you know, maybe he doesn't run away and hide. But given the fact that the last two times a major was played at Bethpage Black, the winning scores were four under and three under. So what's it say that Kepka went out there and shot seven under? I think when you, again, I don't know that it's that different from the two Opens that were played here. I know people will probably say, well, it's an easier golf course in May and the way the PGA of America sets it up, and, and I don't think so. I just think yesterday was a, a, a singular round. that I think Brooks is going to look back at that opening round and think that's probably one of the best of my career when all said and done, simply because he didn't have any bogeys. He really never even put himself into any trouble. 
And it's amazing that he was doing it alongside Tiger Woods with the New York area crowds. I mean, nothing seems to rattle this guy. Contractors can rely on Ferguson to provide a winning game plan for any job, any day. Thanks to their pro pickup service, you can choose from thousands of products to order online and pick up in store, which makes doing business with Ferguson the easiest part of your day. We're talking to Rex Hoggard. He's at Beth Page Black. All right, Rex, what about that point? I mean, you made the point that in watching those two guys yesterday, Kepka and Tiger Woods, did it look like the two of them were playing a different game? What did you mean by that? Well, I think when you you just kind of looked the way the day progressed, and Tiger Woods looked rusty. I mean, he's not going to admit to that, and he's not going to acknowledge it. But the fact is, he hasn't played since the Masters. And I understand him taking that time off. He said at the end of last year, he wasn't going to play as much. So I, I got that part of it. But when you consider that he prepared this week with just nine holes on Monday, he didn't even come to the golf course on Wednesday. He said he was sick. And that's not Tiger Woods. I mean, he never showed up at a major championship unprepared. And I really think that's what the case was yesterday. He missed greens with a wedge in his hand. He missed putts that were pretty straightforward, simple putts, at least for him. And I think all that speaks to he showed up this week and it, maybe to his credit, and he has admitted this, that this Masters victory was different than all the others. And I get why. He, he had to overcome so much and there was so much emotions. And I think that maybe impacted his preparation. And I, that's the case in his game. And yeah, the flip side of that was Brooks. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant. It, I mean, there was a nine-stroke difference between those two. They were playing a different game. We're talking to Rex Hoggard. And, Rex, the fact of the matter is, you said coming in, when there was all that buzz about Tiger, you called your shot. You said that he'd be the biggest disappointment. Is it because of the prep coming in? What made you think that he was not going to have a big week? I didn't know that the prep was going to be this big of an issue. I'm not going to own that. But I will say that I just didn't think this golf course set up perfectly for him. And I say that acknowledging the fact he won the U.S. Open here in 2002. But he is a different player. And even at Augusta, he ranks middle of the pack in fairways hit. And Augusta's fairways are hard to miss, especially for a pro. And you look at this place, and there is one thing you have to do. You have to hit the ball a long way, and you have to be relatively straight. I just didn't know that Tiger had that. Now, when we hopefully have this conversation in a few weeks at Pebble Beach, I'll have a different opinion. I, you know, I really think that that one's going to set up much better for where his game is at right now. I just didn't know if this was a perfect fit for him. No, I agree. I think Pebble Beach is a very different conversation. Rex Hoggard is joining us. Now, Rex, there's so much talent on tour right now. And for years, there have been different guys running off multiple majors like Rory and Jordan. At the same time, there have been guys like Dustin and Justin who look like one major might be the start of many. So when you look at Brooks Kepka, is he starting to move away from that group and into a class of his own, or is it still too early to say that? No, I think he is. I don't think it is too early. I mean, when you go back to 2017 at the U.S. Open, when he won there, if you look at his next however many rounds in major championships, he has a 69.03 scoring average. I mean, it's really amazing. He's only finished outside the top 10 once in that span. It's not as though he just showed up on those three occasions and won those three majors. That's not the case. He is consistent week in and week out. And I just think a lot like DJ, he just kind of has a different mentality when it comes to these events. He likes it harder. He likes the idea that when he shows up, he's better than half the field starting out. And then the remaining half they know that this golf course doesn't suit him. So the way he figured he had to beat about 30 or 35 guys this week after a first round of seven under, that number's probably down to about five or 10. Rex Auger joining us for a few more moments. Now, on any other day, Danny Lee would have been the leader and the biggest story of the day with that first round 64. For those who are not familiar with him, who is he and what do you make of the way he played? It was kind of out of the blue. I mean, Danny has not played very good golf the last couple of years, really. If you can go back, there were some injury issues that he dealt with the one fascinating thing that he said yesterday is he had always kind of been a middle of the road player as far as off the tee he, he wasn't what we would consider a power player which you would expect to win here or at least contend here at Beth Page but over the last year he's worked with his swing coach he's become more fit and he has gained 10 yards on average off the tee that's no small amount I mean I think that's what amateurs hope to gain and when you're a professional the margins are so much thinner I think he was able to use that yesterday to his advantage now today has been a much bigger challenge, but he, he is a kind of an example of one of those guys that he's easy to overlook because he's not necessarily consistent week in and week out, but he can certainly put his game together and if he has his added pop. That makes him a conversation. No, today has been different. I will say that too. So Rex, before you go, what are you looking for this afternoon? And then as this tournament goes into the weekend? 
Well, I think how Burks handles the conditions this afternoon. The winds are going to come up. It's going to become much more challenging. He's never really been rattled, so I don't expect anything to come apart like Danny Lee, like we were just talking about. But he will need to keep it somewhere around par, maybe even one over par. If not, you start to give so many more guys hope. And he's an athlete. I mean, he played baseball growing up, and this is what he loves to do. He knows if you crack the door even a little bit, there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to make runs at him. And then finally, what is the number the guys have to reach to win on Sunday? I would have said seven under would probably win it. I think we're probably going to trend a little bit lower than that. I don't expect it to get to double digits. And If Brooks can probably shoot one under par the rest of the way, I, I like eight under, to be quite honest with you. So let me talk to you for a minute about Johnny O. My guy, Johnny O. Let me tell you why I love, love this product. Johnny O invented and patented the tweener button. What that is, is a hidden button between the second and third button, and it's featured on all Johnny O shirts. The tweener button is the first patented button to make sure that you're not too buttoned up, but too unbuttoned. You don't want either one of those things. So what that hidden button does is it solves the age-old second button dilemma. Do you button one button or do you button two? Every Johnny O shirt comes with their patented tweener button, so you're always looking just right. It is a total game changer. They do the work for you. And right now, if you use the promo code Rome, you can get 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com at checkout now through May 30th. Again, 20% off the regular price button-ups, which come in a range of fabrics, patterns, and styles. They all pop. They look amazing. The shipping is free for orders over $85. Johnny-O.com, promo code Rome. Get 20% off that first order. Free shipping on orders over $85. Go to Johnny-O.com for your tweener shirt. 20% off and check out the wide selection of shirts and other products ranging from polos to shorts, pants, swim, and more. Johnny-O.com. Batman is officially ripping off the cape. Shale Jr. leaving the control room octagon, the XR4TI, losing a wheel. Today is Keith Arnold's final program. He is down to his last half hour in the jungle. Now, honestly, y'all have had your fun, but Keith has been a valued member of this crew for nearly three years. In fact, he started working here almost exactly a month before Hawk did. And he's a big part of what we do around here, regardless of what Mike and Indy said in the last segment, regardless of what you've all said today, both on the phones and on Twitter. I mean, generally, perception is reality. I understand that, but not in this case. Let the true record reflect that Keith Arnold was always ringing that bell at 5 a.m. We go on the air at 9 a.m., he rings that bell every single morning without fail at 5 a.m. And putting in the kind of hours that, frankly, not a lot of you can. Most of you cannot. He is one of us. He's been in here every single day. Every single day. In fact, my time with Keith goes back to my daily TV show on CBS Sports Network before he got to the jungle. That's how I know Keith. That's why I brought him in. He worked on that daily show. He did great work on that show. So to me... I'm losing both a great dude and a great employee. To you, you're losing a, quote, sandwich bitch who looks like a Chael Sonnen impersonator. See, that's always the interesting part about working in the jungle. Exactly what is your legacy going to be when you leave? Inevitably, everybody leaves, except Alvy and the flight deck. I mean, literally everybody in my life on this show has left. Except Alvy and the flight deck. So what's your legacy going to be? Is it, for instance, a commercial for a shaving razor and an episode of Blind Date? That's Jay Stu. Is it wrecking a bathroom while house hunting and getting blasted at Wrigley Field? KB. Is it seat filling at the Oscars and not doing a hell of a lot else? That's Dallas Huff. Is it looking like Ross from Friends and quitting after like seven months to go push paper at Alhambra City Hall? That was Robert Dasmati. So for Keith, what's it going to be? Being a dead ringer for Chael Sonnen, which is why I often refer to him as Chael Jr. Is it for his ridiculously bleached white chompers? Or... That disgusting red plastic diner cup that he used every single day and never seemingly ever washed. 
Was it going and picking up McCracky's breakfast for the crew on more than one occasion? Was it being glossed pepperoni nipples by an emailer who said he looked like Val Kilmer in an ill-fitting Batman suit? Was it any of those things? Was it all of those things? Was it something else? I don't really know, but I got to bring him on in. Keith, come on in for your exit interview. Bring it on in here so we can talk about it on your way out. He's Batman. I'm Batman. He's here. My man. Hey, I'll what's, what's today? Yeah, it's on. You're ready to roll. So what, what has today been like? It's fun. I would have quit a long time ago. I knew everyone's going to be so nice. I mean, <laughs> all these legends just ripping me. It's great. All right. So for the first time in three years, on this grind, you get up, your alarm clock goes off at 345. It's the first time because it's the last time. How did that feel? No joke. I screen grabbed it. I rolled out. My kid was sleeping next to me. I had like no shot. I always have to kind of ninja out of the room. Hey, Hawk, what's up? Um, and it was just like, it was weird. I gotta, I gotta admit, this is like the weirdest week ever. It's just, I, I, it doesn't feel real. It's like you do this job and you kind of just get into that rhythm of Monday to Friday, Monday to Friday, get to the weekend. You know, you, you know what day you get this kind of coffee. You kind of just try to make a rhythm out of it and then it's over. So we'll see. Oh, it's real, bro. We're changing the locks the second you're out of here. It's real. It's real. All right. So did you make your trademark McDonald's breakfast run this morning? So I hit the two for four. <laughs> Got one for Hawk, and then got the hash browns, thought I'd spice it up. You know, thank you, Adam, for all the terrible takes and uh, all the things you say on the mic that sound stupid. Uh, and then the hash browns are more expensive than the sandwiches. So it was, uh, it was a tough morning, but I'll win it back on the golf course. All right. Keith Arnold is joining us, and that's part of the thing. You and Hawk play a lot of golf. I want to say this, though. You also, and this gets lost in the fact that Hawk ran that LA Marathon. It's always been about Hawk, Hawk, Hawk. Hawk ran the marathon. Hawk finished in six hours and 18 minutes. You crushed it. You finished well ahead of him. What was your time? About two hours ahead of him, not not counting or anything. Uh, it was like 4.23 or 4.27, and I was actually pissed. Um, it was I, I, I literally thought I was going to die at about mile 22, and then all I could think about was just beating Adam. And uh, it was great. And then to see that guy shuffle through... And, and the videos and, and to see the victory lap he's taken, it really has been fun to just beat somebody that badly. You crushed him. I was proud of both you guys, though, for running and finishing it. Keith Arnold is joining me in studio. It is his final days down to his last couple of segments here. Now, the last time I did an on-air interview, it was with Dallas Huff. And we discovered that he named his dog after a character on the show, The O.C. We already knew that Hawk named his cat after Ken Griffey Jr. You had them both beat. You went a step further. You named your son after the movie Top Gun. Is this true? His name's not Top Gun, but his name is Maverick. And it's kind of true. My wife would hate that we talked about this on air. I think she's still coming, coming around to Maverick as a name. But yeah, dude, Tom Cruise is the man. How are you not going to respect that? That's right. I love Tom Cruise. The, the thing is, I could see where you might do that, but how did you convince her to go along with that? So I legitimately told her it wasn't about Top Gun, which might have been a lie. And then I had her... She's an attorney. She's really smart. She's much smarter than She me. didn't buy that, did no, she? No, no. I think it was probably the drugs after after giving birth. But we had, you know, it's a cool name. We always struggle. We ha Our daughter has a cool name. She's just, just Riley, so it's not like Charlie or something like that. But um, yeah, it was just... we we. Tried to have a boy for a while. We tried to have a kid for a while, and it was like this dude was awesome. So he's Maverick. He's Maverick. Yeah. All right, then. Now, I mentioned you spent three years in the jungle, and you were one of the guys that really got into the culture of the entire thing, not just how we work, but the actual show. You interacted with the clones. You made it a point to school up on the old references before your time here. What's been your favorite part of the last three years? I mean, just the fact that I, I was a clone. So like, I, I, I can vividly remember sitting in the car listening to Becca at the Spelling Bee, and you screaming loser. And I just, I literally still laugh about that moment. And the fact that, you know, I'm sitting behind the glass, you know, laughing at similar jokes or, you know, roasting Bruce Willis. Um, you know, that's, that's not a lot of people can do that for a day job. And that I never took that for granted. And it's like, yeah, the culture is, I mean, I am the culture. So it's just not hard. Keith Arnold is joining us in studio. He's getting ready to move on to the next thing. He worked here for three years, always had an amazing attitude with it, always showed up early, first one in, and always really represented the, the brand very, very well. Now, your three glosses, Batman, Pepperoni Nips, Chael Jr., 
Which was your least favorite of the three? Oh, the nips thing, dude. That, that kills me. And it's like the more you think about it, you're just like, God, it just – because I don't even have big nipples. Like, let's be real. It has nothing to do with – I can't remember who it was, but it was like – it was a Vat, Val Kilmer bat – and I think it was George Clooney's Batman too, which, is, which makes it even worse. So it's like a dumb clone gives you a dumb gloss, and then the dumber it is, it just sticks. So I just kind of had to embrace it. A dumb clone gives you a dumb gloss, and the dumber it is – the more it sticks. All right, going back to golf, I know you and Hawk hit the track together quite a bit. Over the past three years, I also know that you're a better stick and a better athlete. You took a lot of money off of him. True. As it stands today, how much jack have you lifted off of Hawk? I'm approaching a comma, so I'm almost at three zeros. Uh, Elvie's actually gotten in on this. I don't know if Adam knows this. He's bought into my syndicate. So he, uh, <laughs> I did he, not know he, that. He, he kind of backstops me, so if I ever do lose, I don't think I've actually given Adam any money, but our Venmo account history is very sketchy. But if I ever do lose... LV covers it, and then I bring in donuts when I win. There you go. Now, you're a noted Tiger Honk as well. You and Hawk have a bromance over this. Every day I walk past your office, I look at those three stupid Tiger bobbleheads on the front of your desk. Your dude is not having a real good goal of it this week, but he did win the Masters last month. Since this is your last day, because it is your last day, I'm going to actually give you the floor for this one. What did that Masters mean to you, Honk? That was a terribly emotional day. I mean, it, it was it was weird because I, I went in knowing that I'm like, God, I, this is awesome. And then I knew, you know, you thought it was the opposite of awesome. So there's these like conflicting battles. But I don't know, to watch him get rubbed in it by, by Brooks today and yesterday was tough. But I feel like I, I my wife was looking at me like I was just a loser. I'm like, just give me this moment. I've been following this guy since whatever, 97 and, you know, stuck with him after he put the car in the fire hydrant and took the nine iron in the mouth. All the, you know, all the terrible women and the Perkins waitresses. So it felt good. I mean, it's a redemption. You mean, you mean all those terrible decisions he made himself and all those situations he put himself in? I mean, you mean all Ben that? Hogan never had sex with the Perkins waitress. Everyone talks about the bus that hit him, but not about the Perkins waitresses. Right. I guess. Yeah, that. <laughs> all right. Listen. In all seriousness. Pep Nips, a.k.a. Keith, great job these three years. As I mentioned, and I said this to you privately, and I want to say it on the air, you came to work with a smile on your face every single day. It's got nothing to do with the perfect white chicklets. It's all about attitude. It's not easy to come to work, to get up at 3.45 every single morning, to be here at 5 a.m. every single morning, to grind this thing out, to have a good attitude, to be happy to be here, to make the chemistry better, to contribute in a positive manner and do quality work, and to embrace the brand, embrace the guy you work for, say the right things, do the right things thank you very much i really appreciate no. it keith you did a hell of a job and this is not an easy job and i really do appreciate you thank you for saying that i love the brand i always will and uh yeah get ready for some terrible calls that'll get run by lv so i'm coming mark stein is my guest mark good to have you back how are you mr rome i am good Good. It's great to have you. So let me ask you about last night's game, Mark. When you see Golden State come back the way they did in the third quarter, it felt like a throwback Thursday. How did it feel to you to see them come back from 17 down, take a five-point lead in a matter of roughly 10 minutes? Were you flashing back to their old days? I've seen this movie a few times, I have to say. But it's, it's really it's the style of play that they're playing. I mean, they, they really have turned back the clock. And it's amazing when you think that, you know, they, they've, they've played such a different style offensively with Durant and that they can, when the most is on the line, finishing off game five in Houston, fin- you know, winning, finishing off the game five at home against Houston without Durant when he gets hurt, winning the game six at Houston this way, overturning that kind of deficit when Portland had them rocked. It's, it's, um, it's amazing. I mean, you know, look, Stephen Curry's the engine. We know that. And Clay Thompson, I mean, these guys have been the best backcourt in the league for a half decade now. But Iguodala and Draymond Green look fantastic, and that's a big reason why this is happening. I could not agree more, and I want to ask you about both those guys in a minute, but going back to this notion of Kevin Durant, what that offense is like without him, Steph is averaging 46 points per 48 minutes without Durant. His brother Seth has said that the Warriors were actually tougher to defend without Durant. What do you make of that comment, and then how different does the offense feel without Kevin Durant? I would respectfully disagree. Look, the ball is flying around more, and you could say aesthetically, it's a prettier style, but there are also a lot of mistakes thrown in when the Warriors play this way, and they were very loose 
in the first half, and you see when they're not locked in and not focused. And, I mean, it starts with defense even for them. As, as much as we talk about their offensive firepower, if they're not locked in defensively, rebounding the ball, creating turnovers, getting out in the open court, it's not going to work because, you know, when they have Durant, they just have, you know, they have – he is truly unguardable. I mean, there is no one one-on-one who can deal with Kevin Durant. He can shoot over anyone. So don't buy the notion that they're better without him. I know people want to say that. Are they more entertaining as a watch without him? I think sometimes you can certainly argue that, but their, their margin for error goes way, way down without Kevin Durant, and they know it. And look, this is a limited Portland team. Incredible effort for the Blazers to get this far and to win a game seven in Denver, which I promise you is, is no layup. But this is not a Western Conference Finals roster, especially without Nurkic out injured. You know, it's going to be much tougher. Whoever they see in the finals, the Bucks or the Raptors, you know, I think they do need Durant to win, to win that series. I do. Mark Stein is joining us right now. All right, so Mark, go back to the two guys that you mentioned. When you look at Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala, how much was last night about Green dropping a few pounds and about Iguodala appearing to never age? Yeah, I mean, look, Draymond Green has been sensational. And all season long, you know, he, he looked heavier. He was, in, you know, he would say it was injury-related. He, you know, both of those guys impact the game so much and often without shooting. And it looks sometimes like neither one wants to shoot. And, you know, Draymond Green struggled with the three ball all year long. It's looked better in the playoffs. And he, you know, he has, you know, he's, he's really found a groove offensively. I mean, he's, he's doing it all right now. But the, you know, the playmaking ability that Draymond Green has, as, I mean, as a defensive anchor and playmaker, he's so unique at that size as an under, you know, a small ball five, the way he plays in, and Iguodala the same. You know, he had the five, Iguodala made the five threes in the, in, the, in the closeout game against the Rockets, and that was the most threes he's made in the playoff game in five, six years. But, you know, he, he hasn't been shooting the ball well in this series, but still such a factor defensively. And, uh, I mean, you know, the pieces just fit. And, and you saw it last night. These guys have been there. They know they know the situation. They know the terrain. There's really nothing that can happen from a supposed crisis perspective that the Warriors haven't seen, and that's, that's, that's why they found a way last night. Mark Stein joining us. All right, so in terms of a crisis, losing Kevin Durant might be construed as a crisis, maybe not for this series, but maybe ultimately. Based on your reporting, and Steve Kerr said that Durant's situation, quote, is a little more serious than we thought at the very beginning. End of quote. Based on your reporting, who's closer to returning, Kevin Durant or DeMarcus Cousins? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any questions that it's Cousins. And that, that was definitely the buzz. That's been the buzz around the team really since, since, uh, since the later stages of the Houston series. When, when the Warriors finished off the Rockets, you know, I, I was told pretty strongly, you know, there, there's a good chance we'll see DeMarcus in the conference finals as, you know, as long as he stays on his current progress, I think they've slowed that down to a degree. There's not as much of an urgency to rush Cousins back. Had they had it been Denver against Golden State in this round, I think they really would have needed Cousins, who has historically done very well and given Jokic problems. Without Jokic out there, there's not as much of an urgency, I think, for Golden State to get him back on the floor, and they also want to still be cautious. You know, DeMarcus Cousins is on the floor. Unlike Durant, Cousins is on the floor, but he's still moving slowly and kind of working his way back in. And as, as Steve Kerr said, he hasn't really played in any live ball situation. So I think if this was a long series, we would, we, we would see Cousins in the later stages, but this right now doesn't look like a long series. So the Warriors are going to – it appears the Warriors will have the luxury – of winning this thing and not having to even worry about trying to get those guys back. But look, everyone wants to know about Durant. There's still two weeks until the final and it's a calf strain. It's more serious than the Warriors thought, but this is just a prediction. I do not have access to the medical reports. No one has told me this, just my prediction. I think we will see Kevin Durant in the finals. I just, I would be surprised 
the you know, we're seeing him in the hallway, we're seeing him standing, we're seeing him interacting with guys. If the injury was more severe than that, he would be in mothball somewhere completely out of view. I, I do think we'll see him in the finals. I think that's fair. He'd be sequestered otherwise. Mark Stein joining us. Mark, you had a piece in your newsletter this week where you ran down Steve Nash and you talked about the Rockets and what it's like to keep coming up just short. What was that conversation like? Well, it's, you know, I think we all had that feeling when the Rockets, you know, Durant goes down and the Rockets couldn't even force a game seven. You know, I was traveling. I didn't listen to your show the next day, but I'm guessing on the Monday you probably had some choice words for the Rockets not being able to, you know, keep that series going. I mean, this was their chance for vengeance, and they let it slip. And I think everybody thought, you got to hammer these guys. They blew it. This was the exact inverse of what we saw a year ago when they went up 3-2 but lost Chris Paul. This team's never going to get it done. Harden can't win. Chris Paul can't win. D'Antoni's not a championship coach. Just pile on because the Rockets are done. They're frauds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that was the inclination a lot of people had. But, you know, I've, I've always been a huge D'Antoni fan. I covered those Suns teams really, really closely. He was an offensive revolutionary then. And in, it's my view – I don't think he's gotten nearly enough credit for going to, to Houston, playing a completely different style. This is not the style Mike D'Antoni wants to play. He doesn't want to be an isolation coach, but he's got one-on-one players. Harden might be the best one-on-one player not named Kevin Durant in the world. He's completely changed his approach. And so I called Nash just to ask him, what was that series like for you? You worked for the Warriors as a consultant, but obviously you're still a huge D'Antoni fan. And, and Nash acknowledged, you know, they know the talk is out there that, you know, Nash has to deal with it too. You didn't, if you don't win a ring, that stays with you forever. And guys like you and me say you weren't good enough and you, you have flaws on your resume and holes in your resume. But, you know, Nash made the point over and over. It's Mike D'Antoni, they're losing to a historic Golden State team with probably four future Hall of Famers in their starting lineup when everybody's healthy. They're not, and, you know, who stopped the seven seconds or less Suns? It was San Antonio over and over and over again. Popovich and Duncan, legends of this game. So Mike D'Antoni, does he have a championship on his resume? No, but there have been some really, really significant obstacles in his way. And so, look, I think I'm in the minority when I say that. I think most people are saying he can't get it done. He, his style can't win. And I, I just don't think it's fair. I don't, I don't think it's right. Mark Stein joining us. All right, then. Now, Mark, before you go, the postseason is a major grind. It's going to take a toll on anybody and everyone. You tweeted the other day, why are naps so good when you're old? That's your tweet. Break it down for me. What is your nap strategy? Where do you take them? How long? And do you set an alarm? That's the thing. I I definitely do not set an alarm. I don't even like to take them. In my head, I'm still, you know, five, six, seven years old, trying anything I could do to avoid being forced <laughs> to take a nap. And, uh, you know, I used to go overseas to visit family in Israel where even at older ages they were trying to make me take naps in the afternoon. I hate naps. But the other night, man, I had, after a long, a long, painful overnight writing session, I fell asleep at 6 o'clock Pacific time and missed the first half of Bucks raptors game one and, no alarm, shameful behavior for me in the middle of the playoffs. But, man, it was, it was the best three hours of sleep I've had in, in ages. It was the best thing ever, wasn't it? We're old. That's, but we're old, man. What, we, what, we were young once. Let me drop some knowledge on you really quickly. It takes more than hard work to make it to the pros. It also takes smarts. You know, the kind of smarts that can read a defense and pick it apart. Hiring is no different than that. You need smarts to find the right people, but you don't need to spend years honing your game. All you need is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-O-N-E-S ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
Welcome to the jungle. A tremendous Monday to you. My name is Jim Rome. Lots to get to today. Let me lay the show out. Let's get right at it. Let me start first by asking you, how was your weekend? Mother's Day, your mom. NBA, NHL, MMA. Lots to get done, right? I still can't get beyond what went down in Toronto yesterday. Yeah! Is this the dagger? <laughs> That bounce, though. I mean, honestly, absolutely insane. And that is something for all of you who doubted Kawhi. The list of active NBA players who have scored 40 or more in Game 7. Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and nobody else. Ben Culver joining us. All right, Ben, what about Philadelphia? Now I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do whatever they can to keep Jimmy Butler and then just keep this thing going. I would. That's how I'd handle that. Barracuda. My uncle had magic. My dentist had Smush Parker. My brother had Kobe. My apartment manager had Devin George. I have LeBron. My chiropractor had Mark Madsen. Yeah. I want ring. Nebraska head football coach Scott Frost is my guest. Scott Frost is dead. We got it back on the right railroad tracks, and, and we're covering some ground here. The people of Nebraska are its best asset. You got no shot, Webb. Maybe you should just bring your mom on again this year, fat boy. And she can apologize for being such a failure as a parent. Going to labor with a take on how John... Hey, John. How John in B, how John in, in contrast Beeline is all this. Jim, you can officially count me in for the smack off, okay? Midwest Mafia, I'm taking all you clowns down. Rack me, Jim. I'll be there. My guest is a mathematician, a two-time first-team All Big Ten player at Penn State, a doctoral candidate. John Urschel is my guest. When I came out, people were concerned because I had this other thing I was very good at and very passionate about. It's fair, you know. Teams are investing millions and millions of dollars in. Do you know how easy this is for me? Today is Tuesday. But if we're being real about this, what today really is, is Zion Day. Win the draft lottery tonight, and you should raise a banner in the rafters at MSG. You know, right next to that Billy Joel banner. Emails. Zion goes to the Knicks. I'll bet he'll have a heart attack. Like Bill J. If I were Billy, I'd be more focused on keeping that Cadillac ack, 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 ack on the road and not in someone's living room. Dan Wojcik is my guest. So we wanted to get a female golden doodle, and obviously B. Arthur, tremendous golden girl. Um, they were all out of girls, and now we've got a male dog named B. Arthur. I used to exercise for big games against the Red Sox. Or you used now to exercise with a fertility clinic <laughs> and a half a rack of human growth hormone coursing through your veins. Deontay, good to have you back. How are you? Well, just like any fly, you're ready to crush them and kill them, you know? I wish I would have had my electric fly swatter. That would have been an easier kill. I do declare, I do declare you ain't squat, Mike. Yes, Mark, because you're having so much more sex than I am. When the date comes that I can finally slide into home plate, at least I won't sing the same song as you do in the shower the next morning. We all love the red sock. Caleb always loves his tube sock. The chorus of that song is not We All Love the Tube Socks. Michael McCann, that video of Bob Kraft still eventually drops. We have no idea how many files exist that are copies of what took place. So if it goes online, it stays online. Twitter. Certainly Zion is Zion and no longer on TV. Just like Leave it to Beaver. Jim, I'm like the nerdy chick in every 80s movie. So let me take off my thick frame glasses, let my hair down. So you can see, I'm the smoke show you're in love with the entire time. I'm right here, buddy. Peaks, man. Stop making demands or suggestions or requests and just push away from the table, bro. Bro, you shouldn't be demanding anything other than diet soda and lipo. Come on, I promise I won't fight. Yeah, go from the hot tub all night. Fat bottom beats, you make that fat alarm go That's what I thought, Fat Nat. Hey, Tootie, put down that 32-ounce bottle of Coke. Hey, Blair, today's weigh-in day. Get up on that thing. Damn, Mrs. Garrett, get off me. Ariel Helwani is my guest. And, Jim, remember, basketball is back in New York City. When they win the championship in the next five years, play this clip. You'll say that I was right. Hans Gruber. Where is the cowboy? Mr. Cowboy. Henchman. Stuck in the air vent. The end. Saying smack off 25 is Brad versus the field. Uh, dude, unless your nickname for me is The Field, I assume you're referencing his white trash backyard. Today is Batman's last day. We're going to miss you, Keith, about as much as a scorching case of herpes. Ah. Good luck with one of the worst decisions of your life. An unwar hawk forcing Rome and the crew to sign a card for you on the way out the door. Keith Arnold was the tonsil. We can all see him, but we're not really sure what he does or why he's there. And like Keith, I am talented enough 
enough to push a print button and carry a piece of paper from one room to another. That time he moved one seat over behind flight deck and then he awkwardly smiled at the camera. Oh, dude. Wait, wait a minute. I thought Alvy was leaving. Who's leaving? Keith Arnold or Arnold Keith or no wonder some bitches leave. I also like how he has a computer in front of him like he's actually doing work. What? A pair of reading glasses didn't want any of that fake hustle? Which was your least favorite of the three? Oh, the nips thing, dude. That, that kills me. Because I don't even have big nipples. Gimmicky little snitch. Yeah. Man, always great to be on. Good luck. I People. You have no idea how much your support means for hockey. Professor. And I'm loving every minute of it. Warn me. It's a trap. I think it's over. I love the brand. I was well. Good night now. Ryan Switzer is my guest. Ryan, good to have you back on the show. How are you? Jim, what's up, man? What's, what's up? Good, man. How you doing? Uh, can't complain. Just uh, enjoying this off season, getting ready for OTAs, man. It's been good. Good, good. Lots I want to get caught up with you about. So let me start right here. Why don't we start first with what it's like to be a Pittsburgh Steeler? Because you came over to Pittsburgh last year in a preseason trade. And now that you've got a season under your belt, what's it like throwing on the black and gold and playing in that town? Yeah, it's honestly been, uh, it's been a crazy journey these first two years. But to end up, you know, I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. It's just like three and a half hours down the road. So to kind of end up in Pittsburgh, a team that, you know, I followed when I was younger and, and saw some games at Heinz Field uh, and, and being a city where I'm so familiar with, it, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, having that year under my belt here just to, to kind of process everything, um, I, I love it here. I mean, I love Pittsburgh. It's, it's kind of similar to the hometown I grew up. Uh, organization's been great. Um, so I've, I've definitely enjoyed my first year. Ryan Switzer joining us. Now, Ryan, when you talk about it being kind of a crazy journey, I think what you're talking about is when you arrived in Pittsburgh last year, that was the second time in five five months that you had been traded. Look, you know it's a business. You understand that. But what's it like to go through something like that? Yeah, it was was certainly um, something I didn't expect to happen, you know, being – um, drafted, you know, in, in the fairly early rounds to Dallas, um, I, I figured, you know, I'd at least finish my first contract there. Um, and then to, to be hit with an unexpected trade just a year later, going to Oakland, moving all the way out there to West Coast with my wife, and then, you know, four months later having to be back over here on the East Coast. It was just a lot of unfamiliarity, um, a lot of uncertainty, not really knowing what was going on and what was really the reasoning behind all of it. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, I landed in a spot where, um, they had a need for me and a want for me. And, um, you know, I enjoyed being back on the East coast, back, you know, close to home. So, uh, I think I, I finally found, um, you know, some stable footing. Yeah. To me, Ryan, that's a, a really honest and candid response, which I appreciate and I respect. Let me ask you one just quick follow-up because you and I spoke nearly three years ago when you were killing it in North Carolina. And then as you point out, you were drafted by the Cowboys and you actually made the all rookie team in 2017, but then mm-hmm. you get traded a couple of times. Did your confidence take any kind of a hit or did you know deep down, look, I know I belong here and I know I can play at a high level. No, I, I, I forgot. And, entirely that I belonged in the NFL um you know to say that I really had any type of confidence left is is an overstatement I think um yeah those, the two trades were really rough on me um like I said just the uncertainty of everything that was going on and and you know it being so out of my control it was really the first time in my life that something you know like that was out of my control and I couldn't really do anything about it um so I didn't, I didn't know what to expect man and I didn't know, you know, how much longer, you know, just being a year into the NFL is crazy. I didn't know how much longer I had just because of the way things had been shaping up, you know, that past six months. Um, but, you know, 365 days later, it's really crazy how everything changes in a year and, you know, how um, you can go from being, you know, at the bottom of, of your, your thinking to the top of it is, is, is pretty remarkable. Ryan Switzer joining us. Again, I really respect that response. And then you go from a situation where the coaches had stopped talking to you to your first week in Pittsburgh, and Mike Tomlin pulls you aside and says, look, you're not just a return man. You're more than that to us. What did that mean to hear that from him at that time? Oh, I mean, he, that, that first week was incredible, man. Just the camaraderie and the, the well wishes that I got from, from teammates, from guys I didn't know. And then, you know, like, I, like you said, that, that conversation with Coach T – 
um, you know, him going out of his way and just casually being like, make sure you're on your game. Like, make sure you know you know your stuff. You're going to be in there against Cleveland, who was our first, you know, first game. I got there like a week before that game. And, you know, for him to say, you know, I better be on my P's and Q's with this playbook because he's going to throw me in there was, was, uh, was definitely a confidence booster just because, you know, I didn't really know where I stood when I got to Pittsburgh in terms of my role. Um, I didn't ask too many questions. I was just happy that I found a home, um, you know, and then as the season progressed, my role constantly expanded as the coaches, as Ben, as the offense learned more about me and what I could do. And, you know, ultimately I found my spot. Um, I had a pretty decent role for a guy who showed up a week before the season. And, you know, now I get a whole off season to, to prove my worth even more so. You bet. Pittsburgh Steelers Ryan Switzer is my guest, and it wasn't just the coach. Ben Roethlisberger also reached out to you pretty quickly. What do you remember about that, and what did that tell you about how much they wanted you that Ben was reaching out to? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time um, I met Ben. I was, I was, I was like a kid at a candy shop, man. I was just, you know, nervous. I had watched Ben growing up when I was a kid, um, so to actually not only get to meet him, but to be on the same team as a teammate was, uh, was awesome. And, um, you know, like you said, he, he, uh, he went out of his way to, you know, I'm not saying he took me under his wing or anything, but he definitely made, um, my situation more comfortable for me. You know, he took time out, uh, to make sure him and I were on the same page. And then as the season grew, like I said, and, and we became around each other more often, you know, as, as, the mistakes that I made, we were able to correct. We just kind of, he gained trust in me. I kind of uh, learned what he was expecting from me. I learned what he wanted from me. And uh, it ultimately helped, you know, our relationship and our football relationship grow. And, uh, you know, I just think there's so much uh, more we can tap into, so much more potential, you know, from him and I um, that I'm looking forward to this season. We're talking to Ryan Switzer. You know, Ryan, when you look at it, going into last season, you had a total of six receptions for 41 yards. Then you go there and you put up 36 receptions for 250 yards. And as you point out, and I pointed out, you got there right before the season. You did all that arriving just before the start of the year. Now you've had a full season with the Steelers, and you've got a chance to go through all the offseason workouts. How excited are you for this season, and what are your expectations? Oh, man, I'm super excited to get going. Um, I was in Charlotte training, and, you know, as soon as I got back to Pittsburgh in April, man, it was just um, it was just in- incredibly uh, warming to be back. And uh, like you said, I get a whole offseason now. This will be my first time, you know, in my NFL career going into my third season that I'm going into a season back-to-back with teams. So um, I know the system inside and out now, I think, um, I've created some great relationships on the team. I think the team knows me. Uh, they know who I am as a person, uh, which I think is big for your on-the-field relationship. So uh, I think now it's, it's, a, it's a fair game for me and for everyone else to kind of um, judge my game and, and see what kind of NFL player I can be. Hey Ryan, let me ask you a couple of really quick things before you go off the field. Last week you spent some time at the UMPC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. It wasn't just a visit. You were there for the Children's Hospital prom. You got your face painted. You did your thing on the dance floor. What was that experience like for you, and what did you take away from it? Uh, you know what, Jim? It was uh, it was something I don't remember for a long time. Um I've been going over there, you know, it's about 15 minutes for me. I've been going over there, try to make it every Friday um, since we started doing that um, chair or the, uh, the catch-a-thon where we're raising money for the Children's Hospital um, in December. So it's been great, and that, that experience was awesome, um, just to see the smile on the kids' faces, the, the, the children who were, you know, um, not fortunate enough to be able to go to prom, uh, to see something like that, an event held like that. It was really special. And, um, like I said, I remember for a long time, and, and I'm sure those kids will too. Good for you. Well done. Listen, when you and I spoke also back in 2016, if, if my memory serves, and I think I'm right, we talked about how hyped you were about a new vacuum cleaner. Earlier this month, you tweeted, do those Roombas really work? My man, are you leaving traditional vacuum cleaner nation for the Roomba? Have you made up your mind yet? Listen, man, I, I am. Uh, <laughs> two dogs have kind of shifted 
my thinking, uh, very much so. I mean, the shark that we spoke about has been fantastic. It's worked for my wife and I for the last, you know, three, four years. Uh, and we're not going to retire her completely, but uh, walking around after you vacuum the day later, 24 hours later, and seeing dog hair is really upsetting. So um, hopefully this uh, this robot can uh, get the job done without causing me too much stress. Bro, that is really upsetting. That upsets me too. I, I see you working. <laughs> Listen, John Wick... Chapter 3 goes nationwide today. I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to this, but have you seen it, and how was it? Because I haven't seen it yet, and I want to see it. What do you think? Dude, John Wick is a badass dude, man. It was a, uh, it was a fantastic movie. Um, great. Obviously, the action was great. We went and saw the premiere of it a couple weeks ago, uh, but it's definitely worth to see. Uh, I actually just got the trying to get the new John Wick skin on Fortnite, man. So I'm all in on on Big John. Let's go to the phones. I've got a feeling this guy might want to say goodbye and farewell. Rex in Albuquerque. Yo, Rexy, what's up? Hey, Jimmy. I'm really sorry to see Keith go. I don't know what I'm going to miss more. Keith cleaning out paper jams in that massive dot matrix printer next to him or seeing him flex those crest white strips every day on camera. No, I'm just kidding. Losing Keith is going to be a real loss. I mean, who else is going to shuffle Drew and West L.A.'s emails to Jim? You know, no, in all seriousness, we're going to miss you, Keith, about as much as a scorching case of herpes. Oh, look, I didn't get run. Warn me. Ah! No. You don't like that color. I don't like that color. Not a very good call. Oh, look, I didn't get run. Warm me. We're going to miss you about as much as a scorching case of herpes. It's kind of redundant, isn't it? Is there any other kind? Let's go to Matt in Vancouver. Yo, Matt, how are you? What's going on? What up, Rome? What up? I just wanted to say good luck to Keith, man. He's following in a long line of former crew members moving on to smaller and worse things. Will he end up like Kyle Brandt, losing fake manufactured enthusiasm for some preseason NFL game? Will he end up like Jay Stu, picking up Rodney Pete's dry cleaning? Will he end up like Dozmati, doing whatever the hell Dozmati's doing? Or maybe he's going to end up like Austin Huff, who actually served me my coffee at Starbucks this morning. Anyway, Keith, good luck with one of the worst decisions of your life, an unwar hawk forcing Rome and the crew to sign a card for you on the way out the door. Peace, man. Rack him. Matt in Vancouver, see you on June 21st, and I know I'll hear from you before then. Matt in Vancouver roasting anybody and everybody who has already worked here. Who's next? Do you want to express your well wishes and send Keith Arnold off? Go ahead and do it. 1-800-636-8686. Did you just say picking up Rodney Pete's dry cleaning? Gale. Jeff in Southfield. He's live. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Thanks for the fine, Jim. War Keith Arnold and his outstanding service. Good luck to you, Keith. Jim, I've been watching how Keith does his job, and I believe I am qualified to be his replacement. Much like Keith, I can stand with my hands in my pockets doing nothing. Like Keith, I can make business casual clothing look like I'm wearing sweats. And like Keith, I am talented enough to push a print button and carry a piece of paper from one room to another. Most importantly, Jim, I am immensely qualified at spotting the cheap, low-brow fat smack that the clones crave, and I'll prove it right now. Hey, Big Daddy Beaks, if the phrase fat floats was true, your ass would be in orbit. And if you meant floats on water, well, slap a boat engine on those hippo feet, hippo feet you've been crushing, paint Big Daddy's cruise liner on that hole you call an ass, and start selling tickets. Because I'm confident you could take hundreds of folks to high seas and remain buoyant. Jim, I'm not saying Big Daddy's overweight. I'm just saying if football teams were named after Beaks, the Baltimore Ravens would be called the Baltimore Ravenous. If Beaks starred in the classic foreign film, The Bicycle Thief, it would have been called The Bicycle Crushed. If Beaks had been in the 80s pop band Wham!, they would have had a hit song titled Wake Me Up, before you go, go to Denny's. 
And last one, if Mike and Indy sent a Beaks, Beaks a customized You Better Don't t-shirt, it would read, You Butter Donut. War Big Daddy Beaks for being a hell of a good sport. Love you, bro. Jim, if you could wait until June 22nd to fill Keith's job so I could have it without losing smack off eligibility, I would love that. In the interim, I believe a department store mannequin with his hands in his pockets will suffice in doing most of what Keith did. And to whatever degree, that would be too wooden and laconic. Well, if you worked with Chase Stu for many years, what's another month of him? War Garrett Ritt, a.k.a. Admiral Akbar, deciding to stay a while. Unlike Arnold and Dosmati, who decided, it's a trap! Jeff in Southfield, rack him, and I will see you on the 21st, Jeff. If not before then. If you would like to say goodbye to Keith Arnold, go ahead and do so. 1-800-636-8686. Another monster, Mark in Boston. How are you, Mark? What's up? What's up, Jimbo? What's up? What's up? Listen, Keith, I am really sad to see you go, man. Now who else is going to force feed Jim all that anti-Michigan takes with your garbage Notre Dame women's basketball school crap? And Batman, how in the hell are you going to get replaced by the sparkling vampire from Twilight legit the day before you resign? Zero coincidence they announced the Batman right before you bailed on the show, dude. And Jim, I really don't want to take up too much of your time because I want to make sure that we get to the slideshow that I sent Hawk earlier this week for Keith leaving. It's a picture montage of some of Keith's greatest moments on the show, like when he used to sit behind Hawk and awkwardly smile at the camera, or that time he, <laughs> this was awesome, that time he moved one seat over behind Flight Deck, and then he awkwardly smiled at the camera. Oh, and this one's my personal favorite. When, when Keith moved one more seat over behind Alvy, and then awkwardly smiled at the camera. So, Hawk, can you please ask James to turn that projector screen, screen 12 head towards you so we can project this, this slideshow live on air? This is the only radio show where you can call and kill people and get paid for it, Jim. On June 21st, I'm coming for that purse. War Keith Arnold singing Blinded by the Light when he shines his giant white teeth in the mirror in the morning while brushing his teeth. Out. Rack him. Never has anybody taken so much heat for having good teeth. Good, clean teeth. Is that a bad thing now? (laughs) Yo, man. Yo, dude. Damn, your teeth are white. Gino in San Antonio is back. Gino, what's up? Oh, dude. Wait wait a minute. I thought I thought Alvy was leaving. Who's leaving? Chael. Ch- Keith Chael? Arnold. What does he do for the show? What? I don't anyway. Sorry, man. I thought I thought it was somebody else. All right, I'll catch you later. All right, Gino. Thanks. Rack him. No, it's not Alvy. It's Keith Arnold. Yeah, this guy knows who I'm talking about. Let's go to Pearland quickly. Bodie. Bubba, what's going on? Hey, Bubba, I just want to say goodbye to the dude with, what is it, two first names or is it two last names? Keith Arnold or Arnold Keith or no wonder some bitch is leaving. But Bubba, how you been, man? I ain't talked to you in a while. I'm doing great, Bubba. I'm doing great. How about you? What have you been up to, Bubba? Man, I'm studying alternative medicine. And uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get killed, you know, discovering all this knowledge where I don't have to take any medical prescription, any stuff like that. I see they kill a lot of homeopathic doctors. So, you know, that's why I've been hanging low. But I'm definitely going to try to make that smack off, Bubba. 25 years, I'm going to have to pull something out of Rabbit's hat. You do that. Mike in Indy is in. Mikey, what's up? Hey, not much, Romy. Man, everyone keeps saying they're going to miss Keith Arnold. What exactly are you guys going to miss? This guy's shown zero effort and no talent, unless you call having pepperoni nipples a talent. How wickedly talented of you, Arnold. I also like how he has a computer in front of him like he's actually doing work. What, a pair of reading glasses didn't want any of that fake hustle? And Rome, you know I'm the last one to ever steal the spotlight from anyone else, but I have a major announcement to make regarding the smack-off. Jungle retirement has gone well for me, but I'm willing to come back under one condition. They say you can't buy fame, but that's not true. I'm selling the opportunity to be my tandem partner in the 25th Annual Smack Off Championship. 
and the reserve is set at $5,001. I may take the first legit offer if you give me a good reason to do so, or I may wait around for better offers, but email me at themikeandindy at gmail.com with your offer and why I should pick you. Don't waste my time with any fake offers. This is actually a really good value for the guy or girl who has the cash to make this happen. To forever be a part of radio history in the biggest event of the biggest show in radio history, and it's the 25th anniversary, and Jim might shut this thing down after this year. Maybe it'll be a wealthy clone like Homie in Newport Beach, actually on CDM. $5,001 is walk-around cash for Homie. Or maybe a bunch of clones will do a GoFundMe for a scrub like Parody Larry or Josh in Detroit. Could you imagine? If I can win a smack-off with Chael as my partner, I can win one with Josh in Detroit. Now, some people would say this is a pure cash grab, and it's definitely that. But if I get a qualified offer, I'm in it to win it. Think about it, clones. How much would you pay to be in the locker room and get some scrub minutes on one of Michael Jordan's championship teams? $5,001 is actually a tremendous deal, so get in here before I raise that reserve to $10,000. War Mike and Indy getting that bread, and I'm out. Man, that is so good to hear that guy. Mike and Indy, good job. He's working hard to get that golden ticket. Jeff, how are you? Romulus, from getting left back in the fourth grade to filing for bankruptcy for the fourth time, from getting picked up for possession in Pomona to getting popped for prostitution in Pittsburgh, your boy Matt in L.A. is out here embarrassing the jungle. But I guess we got to give Matt props, Romy. Seems like the other golden ticket holders are awfully quiet. I think Cal realized that Keith Arnold's nipples have a better chance of getting on the air come smack off day than he does. Hey, Jim, off the board to end the week, Alyssa Milano has launched hashtag sex strike to protest legislation. Hashtag sex strike, or what Caleb in Green Bay calls the last 35 years. Jim, in 1997, you issued a $3,000 bounty on Gordy Howe's head when he was making a comeback. So now, 22 years later, I'm issuing a second bounty in the history of the jungle a $3,000 bounty on Caleb's virginity. Jim, with my golden ticket today and 5K winnings on Smack Off Day, I think we can make this happen. So send that G ticket over, my man. Out. Jeff in SoCal. You know what, bro? You got it. Give it to him. That doesn't mean you will have it 35 days from now. And if you do have it 35 days from now, it does not mean you're going to get on the air that day. But right now, Jeff, you have a golden ticket. I'm in a good mood. Had a great week. Had a great day. You have a golden ticket. Good night now.